0: Welcome to the Hughes-Hubbard Anti-Corruption and Internal Investigation Practice Group's podcast, All Things Investigations. The Hughes-Hubbard Anti-Corruption and Internal Investigation Practices Group represents many of the premier companies around the world, providing advice on issues spanning the full anti-corruption and compliance spectrum. In this podcast, host Tom Fox and members of the Hughes-Hubbard Anti-Corruption and Internal Practice Group will highlight some of the key legal issues involved in white collar and other investigations, both domestically and internationally. We will tackle topical issues involved in investigations, as well as explore how companies can prevent and detect issues that arise in conducting investigations on a worldwide basis. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode of All Things Investigation. Today, I'm thrilled to have Mike DeBernardis join me to discuss the SAP enforcement action. Mike, first of all, Happy New Year and welcome to the pod.
1: Happy to be back on. Happy New Year to you. Excited for uh, what 2024 has in store.
0: Mike, for all of the naysayers at the end of 2023 and early into this year who said FCPA enforcement is somewhere in the nether regions, boy, we had a bang up first couple of weeks with this case. You want to set the stage for us?
1: Yeah, happy to. I was not one of those naysayers, but for the record, just put that down. Yeah. So let me talk a little bit about the the background of the conduct here before we can dive into some lessons. Uh, SAP, the resolution with it was a coordinated resolution. The DOJ, NIC, the DPA with the Department of Justice details corrupt schemes in South Africa and Indonesia. Um, and the, the SEC order details additional corrupt activity in Malawi, Kenya, Tanzania, Ghana, and Azerbaijan. Um, <clears throat> and uh, third parties feature uh, really prominently in, in all of these schemes. Uh, in South Africa, the, the SEC order detail schemes involving corrupt payments to uh, officials at city government authorities. So the City of Joburg is is featured prominently, as well as to South African state-owned entities such as ESCOM. The one of the interesting things here to me is that there are in the both the DPA and, and the SEC order pull quotes directly from text messages and WhatsApp messages detailing the scheme pretty pretty blatantly. In South Africa, the charging documents detail bribe payments made through third-party intermediaries who were paid. Really exorbitant commissions uh, for no services. Uh, in, in one particular contract with the Department of Water, um, engaged two intermediaries, paying each of them fourteen point nine percent commission, uh, which is a, a large number, especially using two intermediaries. But but the one of the critical facts there is it's just under. Uh, I, I suspect 15% was the number uh, that required an additional level of approval at SAP. So they brought it just under the um, just under that threshold. Uh, but the DPA and the SEC order highlight the fact that there was little onboarding diligence for many of these intermediaries used. And in, in certain uh, instances, sur- subsequent reviews identified pretty significant red flags in South Africa, one of the main intermediaries, had no prior experience, no financial records, no tax records, and the address they had given as the location of their business was, showed no signs of activity. All, all the types of things that would be identified in a thorough onboarding due diligence process. And really, the reality is, it seems from the charging documents that the intermediaries engaged in South Africa and Indonesia were, uh, had a reputation for corruption in the industry, and that's why they were engaged. Um, in Indonesia, similar schemes, uh, in terms of using third-party intermediaries to pay bribes, um, some of the juicier quotes from WhatsApp messages and text messages are detailed in the, the description of the Indonesian conduct, including at, at, at one point a message from an intermediary to a SAP, SAP uh, employee suggesting that he bring a bring an envelope to the meeting so that the intermediary can use it to to fill with cash for their bribe payments. And then the SEC order goes on to talk about distinct corrupt schemes in each of those other countries, each using intermediaries, sometimes commissioned sales agents, other times resellers. And it's a little the detail is is not quite as stark in those in those descriptions, but it seems that in certain countries the intermediaries were obtaining inside information about the tender that, that benefited sap and in other situations intermediaries re- these resellers were engaged without any experience but just having for just for the purposes of their political connections one other interesting thing Tom I'll note is the timing of some of this and I know we'll probably go into more detail later but the timing of these schemes really was 2013 through 2018 and the interim there sap actually ha- had an FCPA resolution with the SEC back in 2016 related to to conduct in Panama. So there's an interesting, if you look closely at the timing of some of these payments, an interesting connection between their resolution in 2016 with the SEC and and ongoing payments in in these schemes described now. So I'll I'll pause there for your thoughts.
0: You really ended with, I think, the highlight of that summary, which was this was a set of bribery schemes, literally global and in nature worldwide, a variety of different strategies used, override or completely disregard of internal controls, internal compliance programs. We don't know how high up it went into SAP, but there was at least some hints that it went pretty high up into the corporate headquarters. The Department of Justice estimated that SAP obtained over $103 million in contracts I tried to add up the amount of bribes paid, at least as the amount reported, and it was somewhere south of $10 million. So one could only conclude they got a pretty good return on their investment from bribery and corruption here. We don't have the full amount of bribes that were um, paid. I was also very intrigued with the 14.9% commission rate. You, I think, correctly noted it was high. But also that the rate at which there had to have additional corporate approval was 15%. And so it's like the expense account where you have a $75 limit and you have 10 at $74.99. That should have caught someone's attention at the very least. But Mike, and I appreciate you going through that because it really sets up the question that I hope we can explore, which was, I think this was an incredibly superior result. And you and I visited over some FCPA enforcement actions for a long time. But starting with ABB, we've seen huge amounts of bribes paid. We've seen recidivist conduct. We've seen global schemes or schemes literally across the globe. How did SAP get the result they got? And we have to add, they didn't self-disclose. No, it's
1: it's an excellent point. I think if you're looking for lessons, that's certainly one of them. Um, the, the criminal penalty that, that the DOJ ended with was, I think, 40% uh, below the, the bottom of the sentencing guideline range. So they're obviously getting significant credit from the Department of Justice, in addition to all the other ways that there was credit in terms of um, offsets for amounts paid to, to the South African authorities and disgorgement paid, paid in different places. I think it's going to come back to what we you and I have discussed on multiple occasions, which is real, meaningful cooperation and real, meaningful remediation. Uh, and those two things at this point seem to guarantee you a significant amount of credit, whether you're a recidivist or, or not, right? And what those, it, it, that, that's a very, painting with a very broad brush, because what real, meaningful cooperation and real, meaningful remediation mean is going to vary depending on the circumstances. But here it appears at least, even though they didn't self-disclose that they jumped into this investigation, both feet and were engaging the DOJ and SEC right away. And then made real efforts to after sort of the second incident here with, with the 2016 resolution and this one to really change the company for good. We can talk about what they did specifically in those, but it really comes down to those two Two categories of actions you so might you could need that answer too very impressed the
0: the other thing that really struck me was, as I mentioned the first let me go back to your the penalty because it was a little more nuanced, and I took a very deep dive into the sentencing guidelines, the factors that go into that the with the sentencing guidelines with the multiplier, the range they give, and then the ultimate discount. So, let me see if I can walk through that. Because they did not self disclose, they did not get three points off or three points credit under the sentencing guidelines. My estimation of that cost them about 20 million alone from that. But even more interestingly, this was the first time you said they got 40% off the bottom end of the sentencing range. It was actually not off the bottom end, because they didn't self-disclose and there was some other conduct. I don't know if it was the invidious nature of the conduct. I don't know if it went to the corporate office, but there was actually 10% above the minimum sentencing range. So they bumped it up a little bit. And from there, they took the 40% discount. And, and that was not even the 50% discount they were entitled to. So there was something else going on that wasn't fully explained. I wish the DOJ would give us a little more information because I think that's an important calculation for us to noodle over, not just geeks like you and me, but, but so they got, but they got a huge discount and they could have gotten much, much more if they had self-disclosed, I estimated it could have been as high as $90 million from the department of justice. So the first message I got from that was, the DOJ is really trying to incentivize companies to self-disclose. And frankly, I think that puts actually more pressure on people like yourself who are doing these internal investigations because you got to do it quick and you got to do it right. And then you got to sit down with a client and have a very difficult conversation. So that's point one. Point two is I was stunned at the discounts given, but you have to give SAP credit. They had to have done quite a bit right. And I was really intrigued by there's always a laundry list of what the company has done. And here it started off with root cause analysis, and not just that they did a root cause analysis, because I think most people understand the need for that, but that led directly to their remediation. And that caused me to go back and read the FCPA resource guide and the 2023 evaluation of corporate compliance programs. And it really specifies they want your remediation. To be based not on your investigation, but a root cause analysis. I have to think that uh, SAP was really following the spirit and letter of what the DOJ wanted. They, they did A series of other actions, and I want to highlight uh, their data analytics program got specifically called out. And for every multinational who's in a lot of countries, and if there's a, one of those, that's SAP. They had 150 different accounting systems. It had to be integrated, and if that doesn't scream data analytics, I don't know what does. They also held back salaries, and the DOJ specifically pointed that out. The amount was relatively small at just over 109000 but the DOJ is making very clear that they want companies to do that, and SAP did that. I didn't see anything in the settlement documents which would tell me it was the double secret extra need for speed, on the investigation and reporting to the DOJ. So I have to conclude most of the credit came from this remediation. And I can only applaud SAP because they must have done a very thorough job ending with they were not required to have a monitor. And the monitor is basically, do you have a program in place with internal controls and have you tested it? Once again, we had no specific language to that effect, but you have to conclude They did because no monitor was required. So as bad as the conduct was, and and I was one of the most strident about how bad their conduct was, I think they really did make a comeback. They made a great comeback. They got a great result. And I think they should be number one applauded. And people like you and me should study this to see if our clients get in trouble. There's some real concrete steps here the DOJ is highlighting for us. For sure.
1: And I guess two, two more things on the remediation that I think are worth highlighting. One is there's a line in the laundry list that that's not uh, unique, but is you don't see quite as often. Talking about SAP significantly increased its budget and resources and expertise to the compliance program. And I think this is an important step that can sometimes be overlooked. And I think it's helpful to the second point you raised, the third point about not having a monitor. showing. With, it's one thing to say, oh, we're going to increase training and look, at, look, we've di- we've done these ten trainings, people are familiar now. When you put resources uh, into personnel, especially very qualified personnel, that signals a longer term commitment to uh, the way you're going to operate business going forward, right? You don't companies don't hire dozens of compliance personnel only to to fire them in two years after the the watchful eye of of, of the government is, is gone, so. Uh, I think that's one thing. And the other thing we talked about this, you and I did on some other feed uh, about the uh, Albemarle resolution is efforts to change their business practices, right? Because I think when you do a root cause analysis and you look through where your biggest risks are, there's there's two ways to, to address it. You can try to put additional controls over those risks or... You can make a decision that for certain really high-risk conduct, we're just not going to do that conduct anymore, even if that means missing out on business opportunities or making the business opportunities more challenging and giving up on certain third-party relationships in certain contexts or in certain locations. um, That also, I think, signals a desire to more fully change the company and the way it approaches business. And I, I think those are impactful moves.
0: You're spot on. And those were the four key elements that I saw. That SAP had engaged in. Do you, what? Do you what, if anything, do you think the DOJ was communicating around self-disclosure in this? Was am I off base to say they by not talking about it, or because SAP was not able to get it, it's really not a part of this discussion? Or did you see something else?
1: Like you, I wish there was a little bit more detail in here uh, to, to give us a, a signal one way or the other. I do think looking at the last. 18 months worth of activity. There is a, a clear and obvious emphasis on showing the benefits of, of self-disclosure. You, you don't. They don't want to. We don't want to go too far, right? To basically crush companies if they don't self-disclose, because now you take away incentive to do exactly what SAP did, which was take all these really important steps to to cooperate and to remediate. Uh, but there's a clear desire to show the benefits of self-disclosure and so when that's part of a resolution it comes in the it it comes up in the the fact that we're getting showing these benefits of self-disclosure whether that's a a declination or just extra significant credit and when they're when we're lacking self-disclosure in the cases that don't have 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 a, a voluntary disclosure it's in making sure that the resolution isn't as sweet as it could have been had, had self-disclosure been there. I don't think you're wrong in wondering how this would have looked differently and, and maybe seeing some steps here by the DOJ to highlight how this could have been better, uh, because that, that, that's obviously a, a key goal. And I think that I think if if you pay attention to the speeches that have been given over the last two or three years, it's clear from... It's clear this is a policy objective of the Department of Justice in particular.
0: And I think that's a great note uh, to end on because uh, I, I saw multiple policy objectives the DOJ articulated in this enforcement action. Clearly, as much as I might have, we might have liked some additional information, I thought the DOJ communicated some significant things. I hope every compliance professional will uh, read your client alert. And uh, listen to this podcast, because I think there's a lot to unpack here that you can not only use if you do find yourself in trouble, but I think you can actually benchmark your program around a lot of what SAP did. So I'm going to shout out to SAP once again. I know I've skewered them for some of the facts, but I have to give them a huge applause for what they did do, because when you have one hundred and three million dollars in profits from bribery and corruption. Uh, there was a lot of it and they made a great comeback. They made a great result. They paid a large fine and penalty and disgorgement, And they also paid fines and penalties to government agencies in South Africa. I think the DOJ and the SEC came out with a bang in opening 2024, Mike.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I'm I'm with you. I think this is ultimately it's hard to, in, in the context, it's always hard to to view it as a win, right? Because they, they did pay a big fine. And but I think this is an excellent result for them. And I often say that there is there are lessons to be learned in, in every one of these FCPA resolutions. And the, there's enough detail in the SEC documents and the DOJ documents to, to glean interesting lessons. Uh, some have more than others. I think this is one where there's really a lot of uh, nuance to it and a lot of interesting lessons for, um, for companies in planning out their compliance programs and also companies who might be facing a, a a challenging investigation.
0: Well, Mike, uh, thanks again. I look forward to continuing our conversation. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the award-winning All Things Investigations. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review wherever great podcasts are listened to. All Things Investigation is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.